Well, welcome to the Keepers All Texas podcast, and I have the pleasure today to talk with Michael McClendon, who's a winemaker here at Keepers All, and uh, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on a few things. Uh, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you for uh, coming by. It's kind of cold inside yeah. production today. Uh, that's the norm here. It doesn't always kind of have the glam and the glitz that people think comes with the wine industry. Most of the time, it's with a, a vest or a jacket. Right. Yeah. Okay. So is that, is that, that, that's part of the winemaking process then is just to keep cooler climate or temperature. Right. Especially this time of year for us here at Keepersall, we're going to be, uh, um, we're going to stabilizing some of the white wines and rosé wines and things like that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so let's get a little bit of history on who you are. For those that maybe don't know who you are, can you go a little bit in, in, in depth on your history on who you are and, and where you came from and, <laughs> and uh, how you became a winemaker at Keepersall? Um, yeah, I'll try to be brief on yeah, that. Um, absolutely. So I, uh, I'm from a small town called Van, uh, an even smaller community called Prairie Creek. So raised in the country, uh, born and raised and, and um, went to school uh, in Van, graduated, went to, uh, got a scholarship to go to UT Tyler um, um, and got a degree in biology and, and a chemistry minor and was thinking of going into medicine and um, you know, so many other different things. And uh, before I was getting ready to graduate, I got a call from the then department chair, Dr. Don Killebrew. And um, he said, he left me a, a message on an answering machine. So, you know, dating it a little bit, but uh, he said, you know, would you like to do some research? And um, thinking, okay, with the department chair, prestigious, I need some hours, I'll go check it out. And so I went to his office and sat in with him and he said, well, it wouldn't be with me here, it'd be at uh, the winery. I'm thinking there's a winery in Tyler and, uh, you know, I don't drink or I didn't drink wine and, um, my parents didn't drink wine. It wasn't something I had grown up with, wasn't familiar with it. Um, but I thought I'd give it a shot, came out and, uh, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, started off just as an intern and, and thought it was a really cool place that was, uh, I was able to exercise a lot of the science that I'd been learning. And, you know, within maybe two weeks, we started talking about, turgor pressure in the vineyard and I was like hey I know these words this is my language so uh, I thought it was really neat um, and you know since then that was uh, a little over 10 years ago now um, uh, became the the winemaker here at Keepersall and um, and uh, have had a chance to go and uh, really be a part of the industry and, and take the reins of um, small parts of of the industry of this Texas industry and, and really taking ownership of that and uh, helping to to write the story of what Texas wine is like. Uh, a lot of other Texas winemakers out there doing great things and uh, you know we've been going and seeking out information and making ourselves better um, however we could. Had a chance to go to Chile, uh, spend some time in New Zealand, of course been to California um, and, and of course inner collaboration within the state and understanding what makes Texas unique, what makes it special. Um, so um, uh, since then, um, I've, like I said, it's really been, we've been growing here at Keepersall as a whole, uh, and, and I've been growing and, and doing other things uh, as far as um, trying to see where we can put ourselves into this, uh, this Texas wine industry and into the story and, and figuring out how we can can really just just share what we do you okay. know yeah and, and 
so I kind of want to ask a little bit, uh, Marnell a couple weeks ago was talking about how we grow a lot of the old wine world varietals. Um, what's your opinion on how that looks as far as uh, uh, Texas wine in comparison to some of the other Texas wines out there? You know, what makes it, what, why does that set us apart? Or why does that make us a little bit different in the Texas wine world? Yeah, I think that um, our selection of, of grapes um, are centric in Bordeaux. You know, we have quite a few of the Bordeaux varieties, red and white. Um, and, and that was just really based off of what we could do. And, and farming is a, a big part of what we do here at Keepersall. So mm -hmm. uh, seeing and understanding what we have and how to take what we have as far as the terroir here and then and make it into what we want on the grape or the, the, the wine end. Um, you know, I think the main thing that really sets us apart is the fact that we are all estate grown and produced. So uh, it provides some unique challenges every single year. Uh, there's a, a, the fact that every vintage is going to be different, but we're, we're locked into whatever you have is what you have, whether it be a good growing season or a bad growing season. There is no uh, contract that I can and have with a grower. You know, it's it's the family here and, and we all work together and make the, the decisions on um, whether it's a wet year, uh, a dry year, whether we have, um, you know, a lot of humidity to deal with, pests, whatever pressures that we may have. And, and the fact that we're out here in East Texas, we're going to have them. We're going to have some some problems. Um, but it's uh, it's fun to just say, you know, we're going to endure it. We're going to be committed to being this thing, this estate grown winery. And, and it has benefits in the long run in the sense that it allows us to really uh, tell a story. Like I say, you know, kind of starting off is, you know, we're trying to, to, to help be a part of the story of what Texas wine means and, and all of that. And it's not like, hey, we're jumping out and trying to be a part of this big thing and not saying that we're not, right. but uh, we're really just, we're living our own life. We're living our truth. And, um, and that's just kind of what's, uh, what's unique about that. The fact that, uh, you know, every year is not the best year, but we're going to make it the best that it can be. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so it's, uh, we're going to take those cap grapes, those Syrah grapes or whatever it is, and we're going to put it in the best situation to have success. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like um, each vintage is going to be different. There's no two vintages or two years of growing that's going to have the same quality of grape or style of grape. So you're you're having to play with that with science and, and utilize your expertise to, to to make what we offer here at Keepersall. Right. And even in the vineyard, you know, a lot of those decisions are made on um, you know no two growing seasons are going to be the exact same. So okay. the decisions that are made by our, our vineyard team as far as um, how much fruit to drop, what to prune, when to prune. Uh, those, those go a long way as far as dictating the, what kind of quality fruit we're going to have. And then the decisions that we make here in wine production on uh, yeast strains. Are we going to do co-inoculation? Are we going to do extended maceration? Are we going to do a, a saunier? Are we, you know, what are the different things that we might do to help uh, maximize the quality stuff that we have coming into the building? Okay, awesome. So it sounds like to me you're definitely a true scientist in, in the, the full essence of the word and, and, and the idea. Um, is it safe to say that that's one of your passions? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, science and discovery, uh, especially, you know, I, I've, I've kind of been, and I don't think I do a lot of self-reflection or it's like, hey, I need to be called this thing or whatever. Right. Um, but... You know, if I had to describe myself, I would be um, 
probably a combination of uh, an impresario and uh, a farmer, okay. a grower. And I think farmers are some of the first scientists, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they, uh, as far as from back in the day, when is it going to rain? What's going to happen if it doesn't rain? How can I take the stuff that's falling from the sky that seems to make these things that I like to eat grow? How can I take that and save it and maybe use it for whenever it's not falling from the sky? And, you know, just a lot of trial and error and, and, and then understanding what you have. And then um, being an impresario, being someone who is is going and trying new things, going to this to this place here. You know, we we were not supposed to be doing what we are doing, you know, as far as growing vinifera grapes and things like that. So, hmm. um, you know, Texas has, has had a long history with grape and wine production, but it still doesn't necessarily get the respect on a national level. And people think that we're hillbillies and don't wear <laughs> shoes, especially here in East Texas. But, um, you know, quite the contrary, we're very sophisticated and we, uh, we're actively seeking to make the best wine. And I think that we are, um, we're competing with any and everybody out there. Okay. Awesome. Um, I know you specifically have, have had a, a heavy influence on Keepersall Rosé. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is Rosé for those that, that don't know what a Rosé is or Rosé style wine? Yeah, so Rosé style, is, it is just that it's a style of wine um, or a grouping of wine. So uh, it, typically it is a red wine made in a white wine style. So in processing, you would come in and you would press the or virtually all uh, vinifera grapes, there are a few that are that are tinted uh, flesh and juice, but most of them are a light green coloration. Uh, so if you bring it in and you process it quickly, you can press it off of those skins and seeds early on, just like how you would do a white wine, and you end up with a light pink coloration of the wine, and you make a rosé or pink style wine. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about, I know, wasn't our first journey into rosé, the rosé of Malbec? Is that, is that true? Or, or did we have another rosé before? Uh, we've been, we've been doing rosé for quite a while. Okay. We have, uh, we've had a white Zinfandel. Okay. Um, we did a, a red blend that was just, or not red blend, it was a rosé blend, uh, called a blush. And okay. it was, a uh, we, we were, we made box wine way back in the day <laughs> before box wine or this, before alternative packaging was a thing, okay. you know, um, you know, very, very different and probably ahead of its time, in my opinion. Uh, and then we also had an oat rosé called Vidzin. It was a little sweeter. Um, so we had, we dabbled in it, but it, it always had a stigma that rosé was supposed to be sweet. And even so the, the white zin, the Vidzin, the blush, they were all kind of in that sweet category. Okay. And, and uh, that's kind of where we started off as far as what we were doing with rosé. But then we had um, a couple of estate sommeliers and um, we had been tasting and they were they were looking for a Provencal style wine. Like we want dry rosé, we want dry rosé. And, and then I had been looking at um, a French style rosé of Malbec. Mm. And, and that was, it. I think it was called Pigmentum or something like that. Not even necessarily that it was that great, but it was, it, it clicked, it was a thing. Okay. And um, we were just fortunate enough to kind of be thinking the same thing. And I think that uh, the clientele was ready, the people were ready and um, really wanted to try to, to bring that thing out for everybody. And so that was our first um, step into the dry rosé category uh, was with the, the rosé of Malbec. Okay. 
Let's talk about our rosé now. The, our our um, was it the 2017 vintage? I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a continuation of the same style, and I think that kind of goes back into talking about um, the the lifestyle of wine production on an estate, being a state grown and produced. Um, you know, we kind of had a little bit of foresight and said, man, you know what? What if we really want to take that Malbec and we want to put it off into our red blends or we really can't afford to hold too much of it aside for a rosé programming, mm. um, but we can still get a consistent product. So, or, or if we want to open it up to having a little bit of uh, diversity or structural components, uh, so we wanted to open up instead of just saying, hey, it's going to be Rosé Malbec and it's going to be this the entire time. We, we just have it named as the Keepersaw Rosé and that's going to be our dry Rosé. And so, you know, Morved's one that's popular in the state. A lot of people use a lot of Morved. So some Morved, some Temp, uh, those different things can find their way now into uh, the Keepersaw Rosé. But it's going to be really fruit forward, um, lots of great acidic structure. Uh, and easy to drink, comfortable wine. Uh, I'm a big fan of rosé, uh, you know, especially because most of the time here in Texas, it's going to be pretty warm. And sometimes a red wine may be a little bit too much, but you want something different than just your your average white wine. And I love Sauvignon mm -hmm. Blanc too. Don't let me say, hey, I love right. rosé, but I love some Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you want something a little different. And the rosé category for me just it fits right in there perfectly. Okay. Yeah, I know I've noticed what personally, you know, over the last 10 years, rosé has just become much more popular and almost everybody has their own version of a rosé now. That's really interesting. And so would you say there's more sweet rosé now or would you overall uh, globally, or would you say there's, there's more dry? Oh, that's a, that's a hard call. And I, okay. I don't even, I would almost be hesitant to speculate right. because of, because I do know the popularity of, um, of your white Zinfandels and your sweeter style uh, wines, just on commercially, they have much more wide appeal as far as like in the new world, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Southern France is almost exclusively rosé and they've mm -hmm. been doing it for a long time. They're great at it. Uh, and it's dry rosé, you know, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's from every spectrum and color of the rainbow, just like we have here. Um, you know, you can have a, a light pink or peach coloration here. Then you kind of have, a salmon color and then you can have something that's almost a red wine you know it's it's much more extracted uh, and done with the the saunier or tank bleeding style okay so what we would do we bring that fruit in allow it to sit on the, the skins for a moment and then pull the juice that we want off of that in an effort to concentrate the red wine portion of production okay but we also want to utilize the great freshness of the juice that we're pulling off on the other side to make a heavier body rosé. Um, and so these are some of just examples of how we'll take these pieces, we'll maybe blend them together and we'll make the next vintage of the Keepersall rosé or maybe make some standalones with this is white Zinfandel and, and you know, some other pieces like that. So, um, you know, it really just kind of depends, but I, you know, it would be hard for me to speculate and say that yeah. um, there's more of one or the other, but I will say that the popularity of dry rosé has increased, in my opinion, uh, you know, tenfold in the last five years or so. Yeah. Especially here in the state of Texas, there's belief that um, we do dry rosé just as good as anybody else in the world uh, because of our soil and our, our different um, AVAs and microclimates that we have here. Mm. 
Okay, interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit about, for those that have maybe have been to Keepersall and tried our rosé, obviously, or tried some of our wines, and we also have a reserve label. Can you talk about the difference between like a, a rosé and a rosé reserve? Yeah, so uh, again, that's just kind of the, the impresario, just going out and kind of conquering some new lands and, and trying new things and, and, and blazing the trail. So, um, and it was, it was a little bit of a throwback too. So I mentioned we had Vitz in as an, an oak rosé that we've had in the past, but it was mm -hmm. sweet. But we tried another oak rosé again this time on the the rosé reserve and ended up with great results and and it drinks uh very comfortably has a lot of complexity to it um and it it's really cool it's like the wild west of winemaking out here you know we don't really have any rules or have to adhere to any hardcore uh strict structural structural components you know like they do in the old world so uh, so just to clarify, in the old world, they have laws that restrict them from being able to grow certain varietals or right. doing certain styles of wine. Right. Okay. And so uh, here in the new world, in the United States, anything outside of Europe, we're able to to just be or exist in the world of wine. And, and that's what we're doing and, and, and going back to, you know, trying new, new techniques. And, and as much as we're innovative, we are still traditionalists and we will go back to our heritage and and what we've tried in the past to see what we can have success with. So the Rosé Reserve, where it differs from the Keepersall Rosé, is that it does have oaking on it. It is more complex. It is a little extra level of richness um, and and has the things that, again, so it's, it's the same thing. It's, if it's a little bit warmer outside uh, or if I'm eating a, a little bit bigger of a meal, and I, but I just don't quite want red wine, and I want something that's elegant, mm. that has the fruity characteristics, and that has the oaking on it as well. Um, but it's not too heavy. Oh man, that rosé reserve just fits right in there, and you could just pop the top. And and it's it's a great one for, um, like I say, the the big meals, like the traditional meals of whether it be on um, you know your your Easter's and Thanksgivings and Christmases and things like that. Um, but it's 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 just a the next iteration or the development of a very diverse portfolio that we have here at Keep Us All on okay. the rosé side. Yeah, and then something else that we've also been doing new is, is flight. Can you talk a little bit about our canned flight? I can. Uh, no pun intended, huh? <laughs> so that was super cool. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, so the flight is something that is, is super cool in the fact that, again, it, it goes to saying that, you know what? At one point in time, maybe the Rosé Reserve is outside of the box, but the flight says, what box altogether? And just, we're, we're doing what we want to do because the wine is good. And, and we want people to enjoy the wine how they want it. Um, especially being out here in East Texas, we have had to develop our destination and uh, do a lot of wine education. And, and, and it's really doing what, what our consumers want. And, and, they want wine to be more comfortable, more approachable, um, and that's what Flight does. It, it's a canned rosé product with a little bit of light carbonation on mm. it uh, just to taste and, and, again, just seeing what we could do if, if it could be done. Um, you know, we thought the idea was sound and the wine was really good, and, and, and the packaging now makes it so that you can enjoy it um, in a more convenient setting. You can take it to a picnic, and you don't have to worry about a glass bottle at the park. It's a little bit more conscientious of, 
uh, you know, taking glass products into different places where they may not be mm -hmm. uh, as accessible or, or you don't want to carry the corkscrew with you and you have uh, a can <laughs> and you just, you know what, it's a single serve and, and uh, you don't have to worry about opening the entire bottle and having to finish it, um, you know, on those, those trips to the beach or to the river or the lake or something like that. It's a really great lifestyle product and I, I'm really excited about where it's going to go for us, you know. Um, I think we're going to try to uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our first supply, so we're going to go back in and, and revisit it with another another canning. I would say another bottling, but it's another canning <laughs> of that product. And um, really just pleased with how it's how it's taken off and, and um, just excited about where it can go. Okay, awesome. Well, that's so cool. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Do you have any, you know, since you're a scientist, I want to know, do you have anything for maybe our viewers or our visitors that... Uh, maybe you can pick their brain and just see what they like, what, maybe what's new, you know, it could be anything. Just ask them a question on maybe something that you're kind of curious about what the market is thinking and what people are thinking about and maybe it helps in the winemaking process. If not, it's okay. I just wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I, I only think I can think of, you know, just, I, uh, I just how open are consumers typically? That's a, that's a great question. I think that, um, you know, do you, do you typically like to, uh, experiment or are you uh, kind of you're, you're set in what you like and, and you don't really like to deviate off of that you know how open is the general public to uh, and I say general public I from the consumer side I'm talking to myself as well um, how willing are you to, to get outside of of the box and how you know how willing are you to accept new norms um, especially I think that's important for embracing the Texas wine industry um, and the wine culture as a whole. So mm -hmm. I feel like that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, whenever I was getting off into the industry, wine wasn't something that was as uh, accepted as it is now. Like it wasn't in the shows on TV and it wasn't really used in movies. It was something that was more of a special occasion thing. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's on your sitcoms on TV or on Hulu. Um, it's in commercials and there are ads and more uh, known publications or online publications, you know, you see ads for, for different wines and, mm -hmm. and wine and food culture. Um, so I think there is some opening of, of, of mindsets to the idea of wine, but how open are you with embracing the fact that, you know, just because it's a Cabernet, it doesn't always have to be this example of this one Cabernet. Mm -hmm. And I think that for the example of grapes, you know, getting into the industry and why grapes, why the wine grapes are so different, uh, the American market, you know, we were told grapes are Smucker's grape juice, Welch's grape jelly, Bubblelicious grape bubble gum, and that's what that's what grape for me. And I, maybe I'll stop projecting on everyone else and just talk about me. <laughs> that's what the flavor of grape was for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, getting here and tasting these different grapes uh, really kind of helped open my mind and to be able to accept and and want to discover and, and see more about what the world of wine could hold. Um, so. Uh, but I wonder, is that, is that for everyone? Does everybody kind of feel that same, same pool or draw to be, uh, to be open and exploratory in the world of wine? And so then, then to take that to the next level, then would you, uh, do you explore beyond your norms? So if you normally drink Riesling, do you find Riesling-like wines or do you just stick to Riesling? It's got to be German and it's got to be, um, you know, Baron Auschleis or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's got to be this Riesling, so. Okay. 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. So are you open or are you more stuck in your ways? That's okay, either way. I don't mean stuck in your ways, like I said, so negative, but just No, yeah, like- Are you a creature of habit? You you know what you like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's totally okay. Uh, Not stuck in your ways, but in in the negative connotation, but just, hey, I like dry Merlot. Right. Awesome, great, you know, that's perfect. That's what's so great to me in learning about wine and and figuring it out is just like, there's, there's a palette for everybody. There's a style of wine for everybody and you don't have to uh, compromise because there's so much out there for you to be able to, to try or to gravitate towards. So uh, I think that's fascinating. Um, all right, well, thank you so much for your time and uh, look forward to maybe talking to you again sometime. Cool, man, thank you. All right, thank you.